amen and amen. Over the next several weeks, I will be teaching a series of messages from the Word of God. As I do that, we'll also be establishing the culture of Converge Church. And as we do that, we trust that God will give you insight and, and wisdom also concerning your own life personally. Amen. Uh, so today I've chosen for our anchor text as we kick off our series, Luke chapter number 18. We'll begin at Luke chapter number 18. Actually, let's back it up. Let's moonwalk to Ephesians chapter 1. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 20. We're going to read three verses. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. We'll meet, read this from the message paraphrase. We'll read this from the message paraphrase. It will help us understand the importance of the significance and the centrality of the church. The importance, the significance, the centrality of the church. It will help us understand why we exist as a local church that is a part of the larger body of Christ. Once again, this is Ephesians chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 20, and this is the message paraphrase. It says, all this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies, listen to this, to governments. No name and no power is exempt from his rule. Come on, somebody. Aren't you glad that Jesus holds our world in his hand? That there is absolutely nothing that is exempt from his influence and his rule. Even when life and circumstances and seasons don't make sense, Jesus is in charge and he is Lord of it all. And he will cause all of it to work together for your good and his glory. And he says, not just for the time being, he says this is true concerning Jesus, not just for the time being, but it is true forever that the Jesus we serve, that the Jesus we follow, that the Jesus in whom, whose name we find our identity is in charge of the world and everything that happens in it, not just for this season, but for all times and forevermore. Listen to what it says. In the next verse, it says, he, Jesus, is in charge of it all. Ha, I love it. And he has the final word on earth. If there was ever a time that you and I should walk closely with Jesus, it should be now because we have an understanding that Jesus, in whom we have communion and fellowship, has the final say on everything in your life. Everything in my life. Nothing moves, nothing happens without his say. And it says at the center of all this, notice we talk about galaxies and governments, but at the center, at the very center of it all, notice what Jesus does. He rules his church. That means in this entire scheme of things, God has chosen to put the church and what the church does at the epicenter of everything that will shake and move in the earth. Listen to me, the church is not an afterthought. When Jesus came and left, he established the church to be the center of it all. Listen to me, what you and I are a part of is not just some random thing that we do every Sunday morning. It is the way that God himself impacts and influences 
influences the world. If it's true that he's in charge of it all and he has the final say, how does he execute his will in the earth? He doesn't come down from heaven and do it himself. He does it through what? The church. And how many of you realize that the church is not a building? It's not brick and mortar. That means when God designed his plan for humanity, he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to die and I'm going to leave my church. And the people who become Christ followers are going to be my instruments. They're going to be my vessels that exert my plan and my purpose in the earth. Somebody say, that's me. Listen to me, you sitting in this room and others sitting in churches around the world right now are God's solution to every problem, every dilemma that exists in the earth right now. Are y'all hearing me? When people around the world pray to God, God speaks to you. When you and I pray here at City Church, God converts church, God speaks to someone somewhere who is a part of his plan to respond. So when God thinks of the church, he thinks of the church and he thinks of you. He thinks of you as the solution to a problem that exists in the earth right now. And he says, my church is at the center of it all because everything God created, he created to be the solution to a problem. That means when God created you, he had a problem to solve in the earth, and he created you as a direct response and an answer to that problem. Nothing about your life is random or haphazard. Say this with me. I am God's solution to a problem that exists in the earth right now. And how many of you realize it's more than just your job? Of all the things that Jesus could have done, he put the church, not government, as the center of his solution to every problem that exists in the earth. I'm going somewhere with this. Listen to what the, the, the next part of this verse, it says the church you see is not peripheral to the world, but the world is peripheral to the church. Oof. I could stay right there and, 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 and preach the rest of our time together right there on that verse. He's saying we need to reorient our perspective and begin to realize that everything that exists in the world, the church isn't just this little outlier hanging out and then the whole world exists. And then the church is just right here on the outskirts of the world. That verse is the world is peripheral to us, that we are the hub, that we are the epicenter of everything. Everything that God is doing and desires to do in the world right now. And you're awful quiet in this Presbyterian church. That's how, anyway, I was about to say something, but let me leave that alone. Notice what it says next. The church is Christ's body. You know what that means? It means that everything Jesus, who is the head, desires to do, he has to do through his body. But he doesn't have a physical body in the earth. He has a spiritual body that is made up of people who have physical bodies that he has gifted uniquely to be the solution to the problem in the earth. So the, 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 the scripture says the church is Christ's body. Listen, in which he speaks. How does God speak? 
through his church. But who is his church? You and me. God's voice in the earth is you. God's voice in the earth is me. And it's not just what we say, y'all. It's how we live. That's why one person said, your life speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. How does God speak in the earth? Through you. Not just through a pulpit. When you show up at work, God is speaking through you. In how you interact with your coworkers. How you love your wife and how you love your children and how you forgive the people who offend you. God is speaking through you. Notice what it says. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. That means wherever you go, wherever you show up, you're bringing God's presence with you. And wherever the presence of God is, there is fullness of joy. I want to remind you, and I want, to re, I want you to reorient yourself, and I want us to reorient ourselves to the significance of the church. We are not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to us. And so as the Lord began to tell us about uh, reinventing and this rebirth of City Church, the Lord began to show us from the scripture that there were always three things that happened everywhere Jesus showed up. When Jesus showed up, he was always there. But the reason he always showed up was because of people. And he always showed up because of the people because he wanted to point them to their purpose. So if it's the woman caught in adultery, the scripture says she was caught in the very act and the Pharisees were about to stone her. Jesus was there. There was a whole crowd of people and the woman who was caught in adultery. But Jesus pointed her to her purpose. And he says, woman, where are your accusers? She says, they've all left. And Jesus looks her in the eye and says, neither do I condemn you, speaks of his forgiveness. And then he says to her, go and sin no more. He points her to her purpose. Jesus neither condemned nor condoned what she did. But he took her from where she was. A woman who probably made one bad decision. And here's the part that trips me up. If she was caught in the very act, it takes two to tangle. Who was she with? Probably one of the Pharisees. That's why I have a problem with that verse. Well, why didn't y'all bring both of them? It's because in Jewish culture, women had no rights. And Jesus looks at this woman in, in, in her eye, and he points her to her purpose. There's a woman at the well who had been married five times, and now she has a situation. Because the six men, she's with, they ain't married, but they're shacking. And the scripture says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. It wasn't a geographical necessity. There were so many other ways he could have gone. 
But when the verse says that Jesus had to go through Samaria, he was compelled by something greater to go into Samaria, a city, a region where Jews thought the Samaritans were dogs. Are y'all listening to me? Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. Why did Jesus go out of his way to go through Samaria? A place where every Jew said those people are half-breeds and they're dogs. There's something greater than just geography or a GPS that's guiding him. Purpose is guiding him because everywhere in the scripture where we see Jesus, there's always people and he's always pointing them to their purpose. People ask me why Converge Church? That's why. That's why because we see Jesus do it. And so he shows up and this woman is at the well. And it's interesting that she's at the well because it's in the middle of the day. It's not only interesting that it's the middle of the day, but she's there by herself. But in Jewish culture, every woman went to the well early in the morning, and they went with their girls. They went with their friends. And the fact that this woman is at the well in the middle of the day by herself speaks to this fact, to the fact that this woman had been ostracized because of her story. Why she can't keep a man? And now the man she with ain't no good. And Jesus shows up there in the middle of the day. He was compelled by the Spirit of God to meet this woman that everybody else had rejected and ostracized because God still wants to speak and act through his church. He still wants to do it. And Jesus modeled it, that if we'd put Jesus first and love people and point them to purpose, he will grow his church. So, so here's this woman. Scripture says Jesus had to go. First problem, Damon, is he's in Samaria. Jews and Samaritans have no dealings. Second problem is he is a single man in the middle of the day talking in public to a woman that ain't his wife, taboo number two. It speaks of the lengths to which Jesus will go to reach us in our pain and despair. And I'm wondering if there's anybody in this room who's willing to go through your Samaria to reach one broken woman. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about this stuff we do on Sunday morning. I'm talking about this right here. I'm talking about, are you willing to be his instrument to go out of your way to break the rules to reach a broken person? He is a religious leader. He's a rabbi. And all his disciples are gone to find food, and Jesus is alone with this woman. And this woman like, what you doing, man? And right there at the well, Jesus transforms a life by asking for a drink of water. And in that moment, he points a broken woman to her purpose. Listen to me. Five times she did it God's way, y'all. Five times she did it God's way. Five is the number of grace. (laughs) But some of us get to the point where, you know what? God, I did it your way and it didn't work out. Why even bother? So with the sixth man, and y'all who know biblical numerology, you realize that six is the number of man. 
Five times, grace, she did it God's way. The sixth time she said, this grace thing don't work. I'm going to take matters into my own hands and I'm going to shack up with him and let me see if my life gets any better. But every single time, y'all, she squeezed that next man hoping that Jesus would jump out. And some of y'all, let me tell you now, some of y'all keep trying the next thing, hoping that another human being will fulfill you in a way only Jesus can. Only Jesus. When we say Jesus, put Jesus first, I can guarantee you, you will continue to climb walls and climb mountains and change jobs and move cities and pick a new partner and a new husband and a new person this way because you're looking for only what Jesus can give. Listen to me, nothing changed in this woman's life until she encountered the seventh man. And his name is Jesus. And why do we exist as a church? I don't care what your affinity was to what was the last eight years of City Church. I don't care. You can go back and find it somewhere. God has given us a new mandate and a new commission, and that is to do exactly what I just described to go into every man's world, to go into our Samaria, and to reach broken people. Because God, Jesus, speaks through his church. That's how he speaks, and that's how he acts, because the church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. All of that, y'all, was my introduction, and I kid you not. And since I won't be watching football for the next 21 days, you won't be either. <laughs> Come on, tit for tat. No, I'm going to go fast. I just want to share one story, one story, where we see this convergence, this intersection of Jesus, of people, and purpose. It's all over the scripture. It is all over the New Testament in particular. So in Luke chapter 18, we find what for most of us will be a familiar passage of scripture. I trust that God will give us new insight. And again, I'm going to go, I'm going to go fast. Luke chapter 18, I will begin reading at verse number 35. Luke chapter 18, verse 35. If you're there, say amen. Narrative picks up in verse 35 with these three words. Then it happened. Man, I love that phrase. I'm expecting to have some then it happened moments in 2020. Hey, some suddenlies of God. Divine interventions, some divine disruptions and divine interruptions. Then it happened because we're about to be introduced to a blind beggar who was doing what he always did. Had no idea that his life was about to be radically changed forever. Somebody say right place, right time. Come on, somebody. And what I love about the story is that the blind beggar doesn't go looking for Jesus. Jesus is passing his way. <laughs> Come on, look, I'm telling you, in 2020, Jesus, Jesus is going to show up right where you are. He's passing your way. I see only about three of you believe it. But be it unto you according to your faith. And so here's this man, and it says he was coming near Jericho, 
that a certain blind man. Now, in the, in the uh, account in Luke, this blind man is not named, but when you read the account in Mark chapter 10, we know that this certain man is not just a random man. He is a man named Blind Bartimaeus. And he sat by the road begging. When I read that text, here's what comes to mind. That there is an unfortunate reality in life. That sometimes our condition determines our position. And for most of us, our position in life will not change until the condition changes. His condition limits him to a life of poverty and begging. That's all this man knows. He has no vision. He cannot see, and it becomes his limitation in life. Now, for some of us, we can't identify with Bartimaeus because you ain't blind. But may I also submit to you that it is possible to have sight and still be blind. Helen Keller, who was born blind, who was an exceptional songwriter, was asked one time about her condition. She said, what's it like being blind? She said, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. So I want you to see yourself in this story. Maybe you can see but the limitation in your life is the fact that even with sight, you may be lacking a God-sized vision. And lacking a God-sized vision will often determine our position in life. What we can dream for, what we can believe for, even what we can pursue. Because for Bartimaeus, his physical blindness became his limitation. And until he encountered Jesus, that, all, that was all he knew. If you're blind, this is what you do. You depend on other people. You depend on the generosity and the compassion of other people. I came here to announce to you this morning, Converge Church, that Jesus is passing your way. And he wants to heal the condition that has, lim in fact, he wants to heal the conditions that have hindered and some places defined your position in life. Stephen Jones, I know you're a scholar of the word. And as I'm studying this passage, I'm wondering, okay, I got to figure out what this guy, I, I know there's more to this guy than just, Defining him by his condition. So, so, so his name is Bartimaeus. But he's also referred to as blind Bartimaeus. People identify him first by his condition before his name. Because that's what they see first. Isn't that what Jesus said? I'm sorry, isn't that what the prophet or God said to the prophet Samuel? He said, man looks at the outward appearance. But I look at the heart. And for most of the people who passed Bartimaeus every single day, all they saw was a blind man. 
But Jesus is about to pass by this man, and what he sees first is not his condition. He sees that this man still has a future. What if the church were like that? Where our first response to the people in our world were not, wasn't their condition. Where we didn't define people by their condition first. In fact, when I, when I look at uh, Bartimaeus simply means son of Timaeus. The blind son of Timaeus. Now, I had a problem with that, Stephen. Because there are other places where the word bar is used, like Simon Bar-Jonah, which means Simon, son of Jonah. But in this account, this guy's only identity is his condition and his daddy. You're the blind son of Tobias. But what's his name, though? If Simon can have a name, why can't this guy have a, have a name? I said, okay, well, maybe there's something to this, so let me figure out what Timaeus means. Timaeus means highly prized. And I said to myself, Lord, here's a man sitting by the road who comes from a lineage, who comes from a father who was highly prized, and his life is relegated to begging on the outskirts of the city, Jericho. I don't know all of his story. But the more I read it, it seemed like the Lord was pulling me deeper to say there's more to this man than just someone who was begging on the side of the street. So let's continue the story. Because it's 1120. Notice what the verse says in verse 36. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. Come on, somebody. Listen to me. Listen to me. In 2020, Jesus is passing by. Jesus is passing by. But can I tell you? Can I tell you? Can I tell you? You better work what you got in order to get what you need. Are y'all listening to me? Most of us stay stuck at the outskirts of Jericho because we complain about what we don't have instead of working what we do have. Now, uh, blind Bartimaeus didn't have sight, but that brother could hear and he had a mouth. That could get your attention. And Bartimaeus knew, I may be limited by my lack of sight, but I got ears and I've got a voice. And I'm talking to people in 2020 who have stopped dreaming because of what they don't have. Instead of working what you do have. And some of you are like Bartimaeus, you may not see it clearly, but you got ears and you got a voice. Open your mouth. 21 days of prayer and fasting, open your mouth and call on God. Open your ears and listen to what God's got to say, even if you can't see it yet. Ain't nobody going to do it for you. Let me make it crystal clear. Ain't nobody going to do it for you. And the problem is, people leave churches. And this is what they say, I ain't being fed. Your problem is you don't open your Bible. How many of y'all in this room only eat one meal a week? I can tell. You ain't got to even tell me. I can tell. <laughs> How many meals. Yet when it comes to the church, people put the onus on the pastor. Pastor ain't feeding me because I showed up one day and I'm still hungry. One meal can't sustain you for seven days, bruh. So can I just pump the brakes and say if you're given to jumping from church to church, 
Just stop doing that. Open your Bible and start reading it, and it will feed you. Uh, so, verse 36, he's working what he has. And he's not frozen by his deficiency. He said, I'm going to work what I got. He heard something and he said, what does this mean? Notice verse 37. Hey, so they told him some good news. They said, so they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. Come on, that's good news. Uh, Y'all remember that old hymn, pass me not, oh gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. I can't hit that note. There you go. Come on, hit the next one. Savior, hear my humble cry. Listen, he says, while on others thou art, do not pass me by. Come on, Stephen, I heard that over there. Y'all didn't know you hear that? Come on now, most of y'all say, what did you just sing? You know, when we were singing them songs, y'all were still turning up. <laughs> like half of the church, like actually 75, y'all were still turning up back when we were singing them songs. But we used to sing them songs. That's blind Bartimaeus' plea. While you're calling on others, while you're doing it for others in 2020, don't pass me by. It was good news that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And so in verse 38, I'm about to go. I'm going somewhere. I'm going to wrap it up. And it says, uh, so they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was, Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out saying, Jesus! Come on, I told you, in 2020, work what you got. He couldn't see. But he was the leading contestant on The Voice. He worked what he had to get what he needed. He needed to get Jesus' attention, but he couldn't see him. But he had a voice. Here's what's, here's what's crazy. Damon, Jesse, Stephen, Pastor Wendy. They told this guy that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. But who is this Jesus, son of David? Listen to me. Listen to me. When we say in 2020, you better start praying and asking God for a deeper revelation of who he is. Because all the people that were thronging uh, Jesus and following Jesus had a surface revelation of who he was. They knew his name and they knew where he was from. But there's a blind son of a highly prized man who had a deeper revelation of who this Jesus was. You see, the crowd had sight, but they had no vision because all they saw was Jesus from a tiny little town called Nazareth who had some special skills. But this blind man, sitting by the wayside, knew something about this Jesus that nobody else knew. What he knew was this Jesus was not only from Nazareth, but he was the son of David. What the beggar is talking about is revelation knowledge. He said, this guy, you're walking around and all of y'all fanning him and all of this. Do you have any idea who he really is? This is the son of David. You know who the son of David is? This beggar on the side of the road was letting them all know. This is the Messiah. 
This is the long-awaited Messiah. And I've read in the book that when the Messiah show up, stuff going to happen. And so here's a whole crowd of people singing his praise. Ain't nothing happening for him. And it is possible to be a fan and not a disciple. You see, because fans leave when the party ends. Jesus is looking for disciples in 2020. This guy knew that Jesus was passing by. But he was not only Jesus of Nazareth. He was Jesus, the son of David, the Messiah. As I kept reading over and over and back and forth, something about that kept coming back to me. That this dude, there's more to this dude, this blind son of Timaeus, than the scripture is letting us on. Because I began to ask myself, how did he know this? The people called him Jesus of Nazareth. He called him the son of David. How did he know it? I ain't got time to get into all of that right now. All I'm saying is you got to work what you have to get what you need. But notice the response of the people. They all try to shut him up. People who don't know what you know are going to try to make you keep quiet. But they're only operating on the basis of what they know. All they know about Jesus is that he is from Nazareth. But when you have a revelation of who God really is, can't nobody shut you up? And listen to this. I promise you, I'm about to wrap it up. Uh, Verse 39, then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. Notice their position in the queue. They were with Jesus ahead of the blind man. There's a whole lot of people in 2020 who are already ahead of you. But they're ahead of you and don't even know who they're walking with. And there are people who claim to know Jesus, who claim they're walking with Jesus, and don't even know who they're walking with. But you know what you're working with. He's the son of David. How many of y'all had a nickname when y'all growing up? All right. Pastor Wendy's name was uh, Pooh, and she had a, uh, you still, do you still have that Pooh from when she was a baby? That Pooh was worn out, no nose. Y'all know that little black nose? Worn out from when she was born. Still got it. Still got a collection of Pooh bears. Pastor Jesse, what was your nickname growing up? You look like you were like a peanut. <laughs> peanut! Come here, peanut! No, no, I'm just teasing. <laughs> Don't he look like a peanut, though? You look like you could be a peanut. Peanut. No. Huh? Oh, Tuki. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Baptizing all of y'all over here. Tuki. I like that. I'm going to use that there. <laughs> Pastor Tuki. No, you didn't. <laughs> no, you didn't. Listen to me. Uh, what, what this blind man is doing is akin to saying Jesus' nickname. If ever been a crowd of people and all of a sudden, like right here at City Church, all of a sudden, Pastor Jesse, Converge Church. You just heard somebody say, 2K! 2K! 
Okay. Now, if everybody this room, if everybody in this room was shouting something else, and all of a sudden you just heard, took it! Took it. What would that do for you, Pastor Jesse? You would do what? You would pay attention. You would turn your head. Listen, in the midst of a crowd, and in the midst of people shouting, when everybody else was telling this man to be quiet, Jesus heard somebody say his nickname, Son of David. In the midst of the roar and in the midst of the crowd, Jesus heard somebody say, Tukat! <laughs> Man, I'm going to be saying that every time I preach that. Tukat. Tukat. And it stopped him in his tracks. And I'll just read the rest of the story. And it says, those who went before him, verse 39, warned him that he should be quiet, but he cried out all the more. In 2020, don't let anybody steal your shout. Even when you don't have vision, call upon the name of the Lord. Call upon the name of the Lord. Jesus said, even if you, look, even if you stop praising, the rock's going to cry out, but don't let anybody steal your shout. He said it again, son of David. Have mercy on me. Look at verse 40. So Jesus stood still. When was the last time your prayers made Jesus stop everything to stand still because somebody knew him a little bit better than everybody else. And the scripture says, and Jesus commanded him to be brought to him. Listen to me, listen to me. <laughs> One day of favor is worth a lifetime of labor. Listen, in 2020, you don't need everybody liking you, you just need the right person liking you. And while the crowd was shouting, shut up, Jesus was saying, bring him to me. And the scripture says, when he had come near, he asked him, what do you want me to do? Over the next 21 days, as we're praying and we're asking God to reveal himself to us, I believe that God will give many of us son of David moments. And in those son of David moments, Jesus will stand still to hear your petition. And he'll ask you, what do you want me to do for you this year? And Bartimaeus said, that I may receive my sight. I got to do this. Because in Mark chapter 10, Mark records something that Luke doesn't. So look quickly with me at Mark chapter 10 as we close. Thank you, Lord. Ooh, I'm going to need your help with this. I'm going to need your help with this. Mark chapter 10, I believe it's verse 36. 46. Uh, I said, now they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, there he is named, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth 
was passing by, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, he flipped the script, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, saying, son of David, have mercy on me. There it is again, those four words. So Jesus stood still. And then he commanded him, saying, be of good cheer, rise. He is calling you. Now notice, notice, notice how their tone flipped when Jesus favored him. There's going to be a whole lot of people who are, going to, who are trying to shut you up that all of a sudden are going to fall in love with you because Jesus favored you. But love them too. They said, rise. Oh, be of good cheer. He's calling you. Same people that are telling him to shut up. Oh, somebody said, but Bartimaeus. Don't try that with me. But Bartimaeus. And this isn't good grammar, but I'm going to say it anyway. One more time. But Bartimaeus busted a move. Look at verse 50. The scripture declares, and throwing aside his garment... He rose and came to Jesus. Why is this significant? I, I don't know why Luke didn't include it, but every person who was ostracized because of some kind of infirmity in Israel wore a certain garment that identified their infirmity. Lepers wore a certain kind of garment. Blind people wore a certain kind of garment. And here's Bartimaeus, who's still blind. That's good, isn't it? Here is Bartimaeus who is still blind, but at the word of Jesus saying, come to me, takes off the garment that had been his identity for so long, even before the manifestation of the healing, because he knew if I could cause the son of David to stand still and get the son of David to invite me to come, it's a done deal. Most of us are missing the miracle because we're waiting on the manifestation before we take off the garment. God is saying right now in this moment, come on City Converge Church, get on your feet right now and act just like you've already received the thing you're believing God for. Come on, man. Come on, come on, come on, come on, go. Right now, right now, act as though you already got it. Like it's already yours. Like it's already yours. Like it's already yours. In the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. That's the kind of praise. That's the kind of praise. <laughs> That's the kind of praise that God wants us to take into 2020. Don't wait until your eyes open. Move on the word of the Lord. He threw aside his garment and he came to Jesus. Let me tell you why that's important. Your breakthrough, your breakthrough doesn't come at the moment of manifestation. Your breakthrough happens long before the manifestation. Your breakthrough comes at the moment of persuasive revelation. That's where the breakthrough happens. It happens right up here when you're fully persuaded that God will do what he said he would do even before the miracle manifests. 
the woman with the issue of blood said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. That was her breakthrough. Not when her fountain healed, but when she said to herself, if I could just get to him. Blind Bartimaeus' breakthrough came when he threw aside his garment. And in 2020, you better start praising God, opening your mouth and declaring your future as if it's already happened in Jesus' name. So, Father, we thank you and we ask you, God, to seal this word in our hearts.